Before we took the offering, I mentioned this word, come. You know, I'm sure that many of you have heard this word from God before, or at least sensed that God was drawing you near to him. And there's another word that God has said to me many times over, and that word is go. <laughs> and maybe some of you have heard that word before from God, and that word changed your life. And we've been in this series for the last few weeks called Risk. And we've been talking about what it means to take risks in life and trust God with the outcome. We've been talking about risk as going without knowing. That's one of the definitions I've been throwing out there over and over again. Going without knowing. In fact, there have been many people in the Bible who we could talk about who encountered God in some very real way. And, and every single time God told them to go, to go somewhere. We could talk about um, Abraham, for example. You know, God went to Abraham when he was about 75 years old, and he said, I want you to go, leave your country, leave your, uh, everything you know, and go to a land I will show you. He didn't even know where he was going, where God was leading him, but he went. Moses, he, he, he uh, God visited Moses at the age of around, around my age, as a middle-aged man. He was a shepherd, living in a hill country, living a comfortable life, raising a family. And God said, I want you to go back to Egypt, the most dangerous place you could go, and you're going to lead my people. You're going to, I'm going to use you to deliver my people out of bondage. He, he did it with Isaiah. He, God appeared to Isaiah and it made Isaiah very uncomfortable. That, by the way, anytime any of these men or women encountered God, they, were, they felt very uncomfortable. And God told them to go, and I'm going to send you somewhere, basically outside of your comfort zone. Same thing with Jeremiah, same thing with uh, the disciple Peter, when Peter first confronted or, or, or encountered Jesus and his power. Same thing with the Apostle Paul. Anytime God, people in the Bible encounter God, they don't, they don't feel this overwhelming sense of comfort and ease. It's very uncomfortable. And so today we're going to talk about risk versus comfort and how comfort has become a very real obstacle to us modern-day ordinary people taking risks in life. And I want to begin by sharing with you a quote I've been sharing with you from probably one of the most influential philosophers of my generation, Chuck Norris. I don't know why that's funny. Every time I share this quote, you... And he said, Today we live in a culture that promotes comfort, not challenges. Everything is about finding ways to escape hardship, avoid pain, and minimize risks. I think he's right. I think he's absolutely right about our culture. So if I'm asking the question, why don't people take risks? Why don't we take risks? You know, when God says to us, I want you to do this thing, and I know it's going to cost you something. It might cost you a lot, but, I, but you just need to trust me. This is the way you need to go. Why do people say no to that? The reason that many people say no is because they're too comfortable with where they're at. And they want to stay. They don't want to change. They want to stay with where they're at. They're not sure what the outcome's going to be, and it makes them uncomfortable, you know, leaving that place of safety, the place where they feel like they have control over their life, and so they, they don't go, and they say no to God, because they're too comfortable. And so I want to talk to you today about your comfort zone, and mine, by the way. I have a comfort zone. We all do. 
Talking to people who I don't know is uncomfortable to me. I don't like, I, it's, not, it's out of my comfort zone. Raising my hand to ask a question is outside of my comfort zone. Inviting people into my home I don't, who I don't know is outside of my comfort zone. Changing diapers on someone else's child is outside my comfort zone, but I've done it. <laughs> I've, I've done all these things. Going out of my way to help a stranger who's hurting or hungry or helpless is outside of my comfort zone. Leading people is outside of my comfort zone. Talking to people about Jesus is outside of my comfort zone. It's always more comfortable to do nothing and not change and just assume someone else will do what needs to be done. But life inside the comfort zone is not the same as life with God. I want you to know that today. Life with God is not comfortable. It's better than comfort. And so today we're going to look at a few passages from the Bible that I think will help us see this reality for what it is. The first passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 12. This is something, a parable that Jesus told. It's kind of a haunting parable that Jesus told. In the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke chapter 12, we're going to, I'm going to read it for you, but the passage will be on the screen. This is what Jesus said. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you... Okay, sorry about that. All right, let's get back to our text. So, the farmer in the parable, the ground produced the best crop he's ever had. It was a banner year. Now he has more money, more grain, more security than he even knows what to do with. So what does he decide to do? He decides to keep it all for himself, to build bigger barns. His barns were overflowing. He didn't have room enough for it all, right? So it, does, it seems like a reasonable plan, right? Let's, he just wanted to secure a certain quality of life for his future. That's what he's doing. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. He's, he's, he's all of a sudden come into a lot of wealth. And... He's, there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is he's finding comfort in his wealth. That's the problem. And we're going to talk about wealth today. And just as a side note, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, rich people and wealthy people. And I just want you to know, and I don't have the time to really uh, show you all the evidence this morning, but in the context of Jesus' teaching and the people who are listening to Jesus, they would look at us and Jesus would look at us today as wealthy people. He absolutely would. Modern day American people, if you have a refrigerator, if you own a refrigerator, you would be considered wealthy by these people in that time. And frankly, by the, the, most of the world. Owning a refrigerator, having a garage, having your own mode of transportation, those are things that wealthy people have. And some, some of you are like, what? I mean, my car stinks, but you have a car. 
So by the world standards, we today, sitting here in this nice comfortable auditorium, are the wealthy. And Jesus would agree. And there's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with being wise and having a good financial plan. Um, you know, he, this, this farmer, he, he has a financial plan. He wants to save. He's being careful. He wants to store up his goods for the future. He's being prudent. The problem's not that he's wealthy or that he had a plan. The problem is that his comfort is in those things. His security is in those things. He also thinks that he's the reason he had the good year. He thinks his money is from all his hard work and effort and that he has the right to do whatever he wants with it. He thinks he's successful and really living because of how much money and stuff he has. And he thinks that he has many years to live. And that probably is his biggest mistake, is thinking that he has time to relax and take it easy and enjoy all the things that he has because God says, you fool, your life will be required of you tonight. I mean, think about what the farmer says. He, he looks at everything he has. He repeats the refrain that Solomon used six times in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we've been looking at over the last few weeks a little bit, where Solomon would say, eat, drink, and be merry. The thing is, though, this farmer added a phrase that doesn't belong there. And the phrase is, take life easy. I have all this stuff. I have all these good things. I'm going to take life easy. And as we've seen, God says that true joy comes from working hard and taking risks, not from comfort and security and taking life easy, because those things can lead us to waste our lives. So this man is ready to retire and waste his life. He's not willing to risk anything. In the, in the Psalms, there's one psalm that Moses wrote. It's Psalm 90. It's the one psalm that was written by Moses. And in, it's a psalm about time. And he wrote this psalm during the end of his life. And this is what Moses wrote as he's reflecting back on his life. And Moses is a man who, he lived 120 years, but he really, really didn't start living until middle age. And so it's really the last 60 years of his life that, he, that we know the most about. We know very little about the first 40 years of his life. Or the first 60 years of his life, I should say. And this is what Moses wrote. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, God, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So we've been talking the last couple weeks now about how short life is. And how we, we sometimes, especially when we're young, we think we have all the time in the world to do what we want to do. And according to God, that's just not true. God is the author of your life, not you. God has numbered your days. We're told in Psalm 139 that God appointed the number of days you would live on this earth before you were even born. You have no control over that. God does. So we are fools to think that we have all the time in the world to do whatever we want to do. It's just not true. The truth is that some of us not, might not be back here next week. There might be a person in here who might not make it home today. Because we are not the author of our life. God is the author of our life. And so to teach, when, when Moses asked God to teach us to number our days, what I think he means is, God, teach us to live for today. Teach us to count today as the most important day. Let's treat today as the day that matters most. 
Anxiety is about the future, and we can't do anything. We can't do much about the future. God controls the future. Regret is about the past. And if we're living with anxiety or regret, we're going to waste today. Today is the most important day. Today is the day that matters most, and it's a gift from God. So let's use it for God, to promote God. If you think about the rich young ruler, there's a, a passage in, the, in a couple of the Gospels about this young ruler who came to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a great question. He asked Jesus, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus told him to go and sell all your things, sell all your possessions, give your money away, and come back and follow me and you will have eternal life. And we know that the young ruler went away sad and the reason was because he had a lot of stuff. And his comfort was in his stuff. He was too comfortable. He couldn't do it. And as shocking as Jesus' invitation was that, that Jesus asked him to do, I mean, we think about that's a radical thing. Why would Jesus ask him to do something so hard? The one thing Jesus didn't say is, I want you to go sell all your things, and, but you know what? I know this is a hard decision, so go home and pray about it. Take your time. Go talk to your parents. Talk to some other people. I'll be back here in a couple weeks. I'll be passing through this town, and we'll touch base then. That's not what happened. Jesus asked him to take that risk on that day. That invitation was on the table for a moment, maybe a day, and then it was gone forever. And that young man chose to say no to God, probably because he was too comfortable. And who knows what would have happened if he would have said yes to Jesus. I mean, imagine, maybe he would have been, he would have become the 13th disciple. And, and some of you men in here might have been named after him. We don't even know his name. But many of the men in our church are named after disciples. John, Peter, Matthew, Andrew, Philip, Nathaniel. I mean, think about it. Maybe some of you would have been named after this young man had he chosen to take a risk and get rid of his stuff and follow Jesus, but he couldn't do it. His comfort, his security was in his wealth, in his possessions, in the things that he had. And so what I believe that God is trying to say to us today is, stop pretending that your life will go on indefinitely and that you'll have all the time you need to do everything you want to do. Stop pretending that you have all the time you need to, to repair this relationship or that one or to do the thing that I've asked you to do. Stop pretending that you have all the time you need to, to turn things around to get right with me. Stop pretending that you have time to make, make up for your bad years. You don't. Your life is running away and you can't stop it. So today, if you hear my voice, today, if you hear me, if you hear even a word, listen and obey. There's no time like right now. It's the only time that we have that we're promised is right now. So the question is, what are you doing with today? What decision do you need to make today? What risk do you need to, to take today? Because tomorrow is not promised to me, it's not promised to you. But today is a gift. So don't let comfort rob you of today, of the present. The present matters more. And that's how wise people live according to God. They live 
for the present. They live for today. Fools, on the other hand, stay safe because they're comfortable. The farmer who had his best year ever and he planned to build all the barns and store all his things, he was too comfortable. He didn't give anything away. He didn't take a risk and trust God. The, ri the rich young ruler presented the opportunity of, the of a lifetime and he said no to Jesus. So I wondered to myself this last week as I was thinking about these passages and, and, and comfort and risk, did Jesus ever talk about comfort in a bad way? Because we know that throughout the Bible, comfort is a word that's used to talk about God's grace and the presence of God and the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Comfort is a good thing, right? Did Jesus ever talk about comfort in a bad way? And he did. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22 through 24, Jesus said this, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their fathers treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying all the prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We think of Moses, Abraham, all these men who, were, who, said, who God said go. And he told them to do something very uncomfortable. He even said to, you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, they're, after they said yes to God, and Isaiah said, God asked, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. God sent him to the nation of Israel. He did the same thing with Jeremiah. And they preached and they ministered and they spoke on God's behalf for decades. And they were ridiculed. They were mistreated. Jeremiah saw maybe a handful of people turn and repent. Even though he had labored for most of his life. He didn't enjoy a very comfortable life. It wasn't an easy life. I mean, look at how the disciples lived. Not an easy life. God doesn't call people to follow him for ease of life. It doesn't work that way. He doesn't say, follow me and you'll be comfortable. It never happens that way. At least not in this life. And yet there are people who, who choose comfort in this life over God. Isn't that true? They say no to God because they would rather have comfort now. There's another parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. It's one of the, the unique thing about this parable is that Jesus used proper names to describe people. And one of the names, that, or the name that he used was the name Lazarus. And he also used Abraham's name. He told a parable about a rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man had a very comfortable, very easy life. And he died and he went to hell. Lazarus had a miserable life, but he trusted God. He trusted in God's promises. He was poor, hungry. He had, you know, boils all over his body, and then he died and went to heaven and was with Abraham. And Jesus talks about this dialogue between Abraham and the rich man who is speaking to Abraham from hell. Maybe some of you have heard this parable. And at one point in the parable, Jesus said that Abraham, the rich man asked that Lazarus would be able to give him a drink because he's in agony in this flame. 
And Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. So there seems to be a contrast, doesn't there? Between worldly comfort and God's comfort. And there's nothing, let me, let me just say this, okay? There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. Wealth is a gift from God that some people have and most people don't. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with enjoying worldly comforts, or what we would call creature comforts. Okay, that, that, That's not a sin, my friends. The problem is when we've put our hope in our security and our faith in worldly comfort, that is the problem. Then, if you're doing that, you're receiving your comfort now. That's what you're doing. Our comfort should be in God, in God's presence, in the work of Christ, in the promises of God, in God's word, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Our comfort should be in our relationship with God, not in the wealth that God has blessed us with. Do you understand the difference? We're going to talk about that more in a minute. But I wanted to you to hear Jesus call the discipleship again. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Doesn't that make you think of the farmer, the rich farmer who had the banner year? He, he wanted to gain the whole world, and in the process, he lost his soul. Isn't that what happened there? And I pray that none of us would choose worldly comfort over the comfort of God. I pray that none of us would ever choose worldly comfort and security and safety over the presence of God. I pray that none of us would ever say no to God because we're too comfortable with what we have. You would be missing out on life with God, on the power of God, on peace with God, on God's best for you. Anytime we are too comfortable to say yes to God and go to do the thing he's asked us to do or go to the people that he's asked us to go to, we are, we are saying no to God's presence. We're saying, I would rather stay in my comfort zone, God, where I am comfortable than actually experience your presence in my life. Many Christians today in America are living unfulfilled lives. They want to hear from God. They want to experience and follow God, but something's in the way. Maybe one of the reasons that you haven't felt God's presence or power lately is because you haven't lost your life. You've stayed safe and comfortable. Maybe one of the reasons you haven't experience God's presence. Maybe one of the reasons that you're bored, maybe some of you are bored with God. And I can almost guarantee that the reason you're bored with God is because you have not been taking any risks in your life and trusting God with the outcome. You've stayed close to home. You've kept your money and possessions close. You've kept your friends and family close. You've stuck to your plan and not risked much of anything. Maybe God has spoken to you in some way, but your response was, I'll obey you, God, if I can keep my career moving forward, 
if I can stay healthy, if my family can stay close to home, if I can keep this house and stay in this neighborhood, if my kids have access to the best opportunities, if I can maintain this lifestyle, if I can know for sure this is going to work out. And I want to tell you that whatever's on the other side of that if is keeping you out of the presence of God. It's keeping you from experiencing God's grace and power and comfort in your life. Many people are trying to bargain with God and they're, they're putting conditions on God's authority in their life. I've done it. I've done it many times. You've done it too. So the question is, are you going to throw your life away with the rest of this world by trying to minimize your suffering and avoid risks while maximizing your comforts in this life? I'd like you to think about that today. Because that's how you waste your life. Are you going to work for the things that don't last and then keep it all for yourself and build bigger barns and store it all? Or will you send it out to people in need and just trust God? Are you going to lay up treasures on earth and chase after the praise of men? Or will you speak up for Jesus and risk your reputation and risk exclusion and maybe insults or people hating you for what you believe? Standing up for Christ is risky, isn't it? So I want to end today by talking about the comfort that matters. And there's a verse in the Old Testament that I would, I would bet that everyone in here knows. It's from Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Which talks about God as our shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want... Well, in verse 5, we read a very interesting thing in verse 5, where David wrote, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the valley of the shadow of death is a phrase that means deep darkness, dark shadows, the darkest moments in your life. Have any of you lived through the valley or walked through the valley of the shadow of death? It's a metaphor. The valley of the shadow of death. I, probably most of you in here have been through that valley. Maybe some of you are in the valley. Maybe you are in the darkest place in your life right now. The most difficult season of your life. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You feel like death would be a relief. It's so bad. Maybe it's a situation you find yourself in danger or exposed or in suspense, not knowing what's going to happen. Maybe in a crisis and, and you feel like you're not safe or secure. Maybe you've just experienced a tragedy or some horrible loss. And you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And you want to give up. Any ancient Hebrews who read this phrase would have thought of a night in the desert valley where thugs or bandits or robbers or wild animals are lurking and just waiting to pounce on you and possibly end your life. The desert is a place of death. And in that season, in that place, God is your shepherd. That's what David's saying. God is your defender. 
God is your helper. God is your refuge and strength. God is your father, and he's ready to guide you and discipline you and keep you on the right path. And you know what's the most amazing thing about this verse? David says that God is with me in the valley of the shadow of death. God is with you. And you know what? He's been there. He's been there before. He's with you to comfort you. Our comfort must come from God, not our stuff, not our position in life, not even the people closest to us. And I want you to know today that this Psalm 23 is ultimately about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you know when he did that? When he was walking outside the city to a very lonely hill with a cross on his back. He's already bleeding to death. He's been abandoned by his closest friends and followers. He's alone, surrounded by his enemies. And he's being led to his execution. And on that hill, Jesus was raised on a cross, his hands and feet nailed to a cross. He's all alone, no one to help him. People are mocking him, spitting at him, jeering at him. I was reading this story to one of my children the other night, a couple of my children, about this, that morning, that morning on Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. And I was reminded in this children's Bible book that Jesus had any moment any moment, Jesus could have said a word. He could have said one word and changed his own life. He could have said a word and a legion of angels would have come and ministered to him. He could have said a word and he would have been free. He could have come right down off of that cross. And the soldiers were there mocking him and saying, if you're the son of God, why don't you just come down off the cross? And Jesus could have done that at any moment. He was not stuck there. And yet he chose to stay there. He chose to endure the valley of the shadow of death. He did not fear because it was God's will for him to be there. And yet, even though God is our comfort and God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death, God left his son, Jesus. He turned his face away. He removed his presence from his only son and the land became dark for three hours to represent God's judgment on his own son. God judging his own beloved son in darkness for our sin. That's the valley of the shadow of death. That's Jesus in the valley of the shadow of death. And aren't you glad today that Jesus didn't negotiate with God or argue with God when God sent him to us? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, God, okay, God, okay, Father, I will go. I will take a body. I will become a human being. I'll do everything you want me to do. If I don't have to give up my glory, and if I don't have to lay aside my power, and if I don't have to lay aside my beauty, and if I don't have to give up my comfort, and if I don't have to be tempted, and if I don't have to become weak and hungry, and if they will listen to me and accept me and make me their king, and if they will love me. No, Jesus said none of that. God sent him to us and he went willingly, and the writer of Hebrews said, the reason he went was for joy. He's the pioneer of our faith. He left his heavenly home. He went to the cross for joy. 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the valley of the shadow of death. He risked everything. And what is that joy? Is it not being with us in God's presence for eternity? Is it not redeeming his creation, redeeming his children from the bondage of sin and from the decay of death, from the curse of death, so that we can be with him? He's created us to be with him forever. That's what we're created for is intimacy with God. That's the one thing that matters most, intimacy with God. That's what we've been created for is a relationship with God. And Jesus came and went through the valley of the shadow of death so that we could have that, so that we could taste it now and enjoy it in its fullness for eternity. But I want to tell you, my friends, it's not a, that does not mean ease of life now. It does not mean you're going to be more comfortable in life now. Your life may get harder. If you choose to risk and trust God, your life may get harder. And that's okay. God is with you. You may take a risk on God, and you may find yourself feeling like you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And God is with you there. He's with you there. And that's a taste of, he's going to be with us for eternity. That comfort that you experience when you're in the valley of the shadow of death is a taste of eternity with God and the presence of God. It's a taste of the resurrection life now. That's what it is. About a year ago, I took a risk. I, I I believe that some of God has been speaking to some of you over the last few weeks about risks that he wants you to take in life. A couple of you have told me about those. And some of you have asked me, what is God asking you to risk, Pastor Dave? I love it when you ask me stuff like that. I don't really know, all right? I'm asking. I've, I've, got, I've got something that's been in my heart and my mind and something that might come in the future. But about a year ago, a little over a year ago now, I, had, I was invited to be part of a chaplain program at the West Dallas Police Department. And we are, this was probably a year and a half ago now. We went to a listening session, an informational meeting with some other, you know, um, people who were invited. There were some other pastors there and church leaders and things like that. And at the time, even when I got the, I remember first getting the letter. And reading the letter, invited into this program, it described the program, things we would be doing, building relationships with police officers, assisting police officers in their day-to-day -day things, especially when they're doing death notifications, ministering to families who've lost a loved one, showing up at the scene of a suicide, helping people when they're in the valley of the shadow of death. That's basically what it is. That's what chaplain, police chaplains do. And I remember thinking, this is, I don't know if I can do that. That is way outside my comfort zone. It just is. Showing up at a stranger's house, telling them that their child is dead, and then just staying there with them. Maybe there are people who live for that. <laughs> I'm not one of them. However, I knew that God wanted me to do it. I just knew it. And again, I didn't hear an audible voice saying, you need to do that. But I just knew, the more I heard about this program and the further along we went in the training, I knew that this was something God wanted me to do. So I did it. And it has not been comfortable. Going on ride-alongs with police officers, being in their car for four hours at a time, and being called to who knows what is not comfortable. 
going to the police station and just being there for an hour a month and just talking to police officers, going up to a group of police officers at a table and striking up a conversation. Who here would be comfortable doing that? I'm not. I can hardly do that to normal people. Ask me to do it to a group of police officers? I just, with my past and everything (laughs) that they don't know about, you know, it's just not comfortable for me. Showing up at someone's door to tell them they've lost a loved one, Listen, God is going to ask you to do things that aren't comfortable, but I'm telling you, if you say yes, God will use you. God will change you. God will be with you. He's with you. What more confidence do you need? He's with you in all of that. So I'd like to close today and close this series. I'm going to ask everyone here to close their eyes. And Dave, if you could, could you dim the lights again? I want to ask you to do something that we don't normally do here, and it might make some of you feel uncomfortable, and that's kind of the point. And a couple, maybe it was last week, I, we talked about um, Hannah, and that she, had, she was living in the valley of the shadow of death, not being able to have a child. And then finally, she had enough of her grief and enough of her misery, and she stood up. So what I'm going to ask you to do today is this. I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I just want to know for, my, for myself, and I want you to be able to do this where you're sitting. If God is asking you to take a risk, and you know he's asking you to take a risk, and you're not sure how yet, you're not, or you're not sure what it means, or maybe, maybe you're ready to do it, but you know that God is speaking to you, asking you to take a risk in your life, I'd like you to stand up right where you are right now. Thank you. Now, I'd like you to ask one more, I'd like to ask one more question. If you're willing to expose yourself to loss or injury to be closer to Jesus, I want you to stand up. If you're willing to expose yourself to loss or injury to be closer to Jesus, please stand up. Thank you. Now, with every head bowed and your eyes closed, I would like to say a prayer over you right now. God, our Father, We know that you are good. We know that you are sovereign. We know that you're God. We've been singing about your greatness all morning. And God, we know that you are with us in the dark times. We know that you're with us in the hard times. And God, if you are asking any one of us here to take a risk, I pray that you would fulfill your promise to us. We are standing on your promise today, God, and asking for the faith to do what you've called us to do without knowing the outcome. I pray that you would give strength by your Holy Spirit and power to those standing here today in the name of Jesus, that you would empower them to take that risk, that you would be with them, whatever the outcome is. If they lose something, if there's injury, if there's pain, if they completely lose control and their life becomes chaotic for a season, I pray that you would be with them, that you would let them feel your presence, God, that you would shower them with your grace and your comfort and your strength so that they can endure the test, so that they can endure temptation, endure whatever trial it is that is to come, and experience your presence and be drawn closer to you, God, in relationship. Because that's what we're here for, God. We are here to praise you, we're here to hear you, and we're here to be near you, God, to grow in our relationship with you. Oh, God, I pray that you would grow us today. Give us the strength to go 
and to do what you've asked us to do. In Christ's name, amen.